afternoon, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the show. This is Back to the Window with Scott and Scott. I'm half the Scots. I'm Scott Steen, lead handicapper at winnersandwiners.com. And I'm your co-host, Scott Rochelle, senior handicapper over winnersandwiners.com. And together we do this each and every day, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, doing our best to help everybody out there in their journey as we all attempt to head back to the window. Well, Scott, how did your Wednesday go? Did you see that did you see that 39-point Memphis victory on your radar screen? Did you have that one? Uh, in fact, it wasn't even on my radar screen because I didn't watch it. I was watching hockey playoffs the entire night. But overall, my day was okay. I can't say it was that great. I live bet the Dodgers while we were on the show, which did not go well because they squandered a bunch of runners on base. They gave up the lead. They gave up the tie, actually, and ended up losing to the Pirates. That wasn't fun. But I won my play of the day, had the over again with the Rangers and Penguins. I still can't believe it was a, it's at six every game. I, I don't get it, but thank you for giving me solid value every time. Right. And besides that, I had a saves prop in the Stars and Flames game, and that literally went up in Flames. Oh, nice. Very good. That's uh, bad bad for your bet, but uh, good for your Well, uh, I, your I needed puns. two saves in about the final five and a half minutes, six minutes, and of course Calgary scores. So I have an overtime draw at one, one, and then they score and you know, they're going to pull the goalie in like three minutes. And yeah, they finished about two, sh- two saves short. I think. Ugh, not good. Not good, Bob. Well, I had uh, my play of the day was Arizona against Miami. And after going down early, Arizona Diamondbacks fought, scrapped, finally tied it in the bottom of the eighth at uh, at uh, three runs apiece. And they had Charlie Smith out there who'd been pitching really well. He'd gone three straight innings, hadn't given up a hit, hadn't given up a run, six strikeouts in uh, in those three innings. And, of course, they pull him because, you know, you got a closer. You got Melanson out there. You're paying him a lot of money, so let's bring him in and uh, let's watch him give up four runs. And then we'll bring in uh, Wendelkin and watch him give up four runs. So congratulations. A game that was tied after eight was now 11-3, and my play was down in flames. Um, did do a little better on the premium side, went two and one with a uh, over on the San Francisco, Colorado game, had the athletics and had the Milwaukee, Boston under two fourteen, which of course was deluged by the fourth quarter, three point shooting by the Milwaukee bucks. And that one went down in flames as well. So, and we know what happened with the farms, uh, with the farm McGill, uh, turned up three nothing before McGill was pitching. Yeah, so it was a perfect start to the game. Yep, it was great news. If you had a Yurfi, you were in great shape. But if you uh, if you had uh, McGill, pitched like uh, pitched like Jimmy McGill from uh, Better Call Saul, and not good as the Mets went down to a uh, disastrous. So, well, you know it's bad when you're up three nothing and then you are still trailing by two runs at the end of the first inning. Not exactly ideal. No, no, not exactly. Uh, Magellan says, uh, sure, he's got, uh, uh, tell me the name, Scott. Shop of Olive. There you go. Exactly. Live. Nadal is going down. Nadal is still battling some physical ailments. I know he was battling the rib issues. It seems like he's basically punting the second set. He won the first set 6-1. Now he's in danger of potentially going down 4 nothing. Uh, we saw him have a pretty similar script against Shop of Olive, actually, in the Australian Open. And then he took a mysterious injury timeout for about 10, 15 minutes. And what do you know, Nadal won the set and eventually won the entire Australian Open. So I expect Nadal to take another 
mysterious injury timeout for five, ten minutes, and then he'll probably bounce back and win the third. Have a little spin. We'll have a little spinach. Come back, he'll be good. Little spinach, maybe a concoction or two in the water bottle. We'll <laughs> see. I don't know. Um, Ninth Wonder says, "May the force be with you, and also with you, sir." And uh, a couple of my, my dog uh, had a little barking going on. He's usually pretty good during the show. I've got him trained where he usually just sleeps, but my neighbor is moving out. So there's just a lot of commotion going on. So apologies. Yeah. Um, Michael Dose says we're going to talk about the, the Heat and the 76ers. I guarantee you we'll talk about that. We do want to remind everybody, of course, to smash that like button. We'd appreciate it. You know the drill. Um, we don't we don't ask for much around here, but we do ask that you that you do just take a minute and hit that thumbs up. If you haven't subscribed to both our channels, please do that as well. Check out the uh, Max Wagers Network YouTube channel, of course, the Winners and Winners YouTube channel as well. And we check out the great lineup here at Max Wagers Network at noon. It's Midday Money with Sean Higgs. One o'clock brings Allie Burns doing uh, Morning Wood. Two o'clock is me and Chris. Three o'clock is me and Scott. Four o'clock is me and Sean Miller. No, it's not right. It's just Sean Miller doing the, his soccer show. And 5 p.m., of course, it's Detroit Lenny, Nick, and Tim Earl. We'll give you all those game time decision. <laughs> I set myself up poorly for that. And, of course, what do we got going on at Caesar, Scott? So, we have a nice promo for you, the same promo that we've had for a couple of weeks. They give you insurance on your first bet there, up to $1,100. If you place a first-time wager of up to 1100 you get it back in the form of a free bet if it loses. So, of course, it's always nice to take a gamble and to know that even if it doesn't work out, you didn't lose all the money. You can actually still get a second chance to potentially get it back or even get yourself a profit. But the promo code is ATSWINSCZR. I believe that's in the description as well. Yep, absolutely true. Make sure you check that out. Ninja says he had Clay Thompson under 20 and a half. Thank God he didn't do anything in the third quarter. And they rest all the starters in the fourth. Clay got 19 into the third. No need to call the cops because he wins. Very good. Uh, If you look at, we were talking about this with Chris. If you look at who played the minutes on that show, man, they, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies absolutely cleared their bench. I don't think anybody. They should have. I don't think. 55. I don't think anybody played less than 12 minutes. And I mean, nobody. Yeah. And by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, plus 5,000, me to show up at your show. Oh, were you, were you in the comment section? I was the one who made the comment about the Boston power play. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That's right. Um, Didn't I even said, notice. I said th- plus 5,000 cashes them in the show. I'm going to I'm gonna tell you a little inside baseball secret about the show with Chris. When we start, when Chris starts doing his stuff, where he, mm-hmm. where he, has, his, where he has his spreadsheets or where he has his, his PowerPoint slides, I maximize the screen. Okay. Which takes away the comments, as you know. Uh, so, so I did. I did show up. Okay, today. he did say, and he, he did mention something like Scott said that I, I assumed you yeah. said that earlier, and he remembered an earlier statement. I didn't realize you were saying that live. So yeah, yes, if you had the over a half mm-hmm. of shows that Scott attended besides his own today, you are a winner. Congratulations! Plus five thousand. Uh, I believe that's what it was. Um, yeah. Pretty good. And you can't. Yeah, the, you brought you busted the trend right there. Absolutely true. Mm-hmm. So. What else we got going on? Oh, if you want to get my premium picks, we've been running pretty good here this week. We are uh, ten and two over our last dozen. So if you want to uh, jump on the premium train, I do have the link in the description there as well. You can check that out. So with that being said, let's find out a little bit about 
what happened yesterday, I have a hunch on which one uh, there might you might see on uh, on uh, the rocking chair. I'm just saying. I think it's I think it's possible somebody may know what's coming here as far as the rocking chair. But you know, there were some cops out there. There were some cops last night, and there were some things that didn't go as well as you might have uh, certainly hoped. So let's check out who it is. Let's find out the Thursday edition of who had to get out their cell phone and call the cops. Look, I am not looking for technical trouble today, sound effects board. Just stop it. Just stop that shit right now. So, heading to hockey, if you had the Stars plus one and a half against the Flamas, they led one nothing after two. Uh, here comes Calgary, Scott. Not one, not two, but three unanswered goals in the third period. Dallas, uh, you should have called somebody because if you bet on them, now you got to call the cops. And looking at uh, baseball under, if you had the Royals and the Rangers under eight and a half, you only had five runs going into the ninth inning. Can I interest you in five runs in the ninth inning? And the game landed 10. You can't uh, you can't stop the Royals, Scott. You can only hope to contain them. Yeah, what did they score? Eight runs? What is yeah. that, a season high? Yeah, I believe it um, certainly is. Uh, they, I think, no, they put up, I think they had one monster game just out of nowhere early in the Good season. Good for them. <laughs> right? And finally, going back to the ice, if you had the Capitals plus one and a half, they were up against the Panthers. They led three nothing after two. Well, in the middle of the second period. But. The middle of the second period. Yeah, not at the end. Sorry. Yeah, they did start it before the end of the second period. You're right. But the Panthers, they said, uh, you know what? We need to wake up here. And uh, they scored the next five. Five unanswered goals in a little over a period. That ain't good. And if you had the Caps plus one and a half, mm-mm. you were close. You thought you had a sure victory. But uh, put that champagne back on ice because it's time to call the cops. Yeah, it was a pretty bad night to back any underdogs in hockey yesterday because the Rangers came back and won. The Panthers came back and won and covered the puck line. And you also had the Flames came back and won and covered the puck lines. If you had the favorites and the puck line, you won every single bet. Looks got to be taking a pounding the day before it was all overs. The next day, it's all favorites. I'm assuming, though, that even though the Rangers were favored at home, a decent amount of money came on Pittsburgh just because of the fact they scored seven goals in each of the last two games. Yeah. So I don't know if the books got killed in that side. The total, I can guarantee you, the books got absolutely hammered on that six or six and a half because nobody was betting the under. Yeah, that's probably true. All right, very good. Well, there was some good news out there. There was some, uh, there was some games that uh, maybe got a little bit out of hand and maybe you were on the right side of them. Let's find out what those games were as we reveal the Thursday edition of The Rocket Chair. So the first one was actually my play of the day. If you had the over six goals in that Penguins-Rangers game, you had six goals in the first two periods. And for the cherry on top, it was tied 3-3. Three to three. So you automatically won going into the third period, and the game landed 8 very good. If you had the Brewers and the Reds over nine and a half, you didn't have to watch much of this one. Just the first three innings, that'll do, Pig, as they put up 10 runs in the first three innings. The game landed 25 as the Brewers miss a field goal as time runs out and end up losing 14 to 11. Uh, congratulations on your over rocking chair. And the last one, if you had the A's on the money line against the Tigers, they led six to nothing 
after three innings, and they won nine to nothing. The over in that game, you talk about teams you have to do most of the heavy lifting. There's a team that had to do all the heavy lifting, and they mm-hmm. still and they still got there. So you like how I threw the audience a curveball, Scott, thinking they were going to hear the uh, one particular game there on the rocking chair because it was so obvious, and then they didn't yeah, hear. Except it. it's so obvious that we have other segments. Yeah, you, it you, it's it's so. all, it's all, it's its own segment, and it has to be. You could have put this in a lot of different spots. You could have put it in the donkey. You could have put it in the drunks. But because we haven't done one of these in a while, we decided to talk about who yesterday, Scott, well, they didn't really necessarily make us angry, but we were just just so, so very disappointed in them. Well... We touched on it briefly, and it certainly deserves to be talked about a lot more as the Golden State Warriors found themselves down 55 towards the end of the third quarter. Scott, they end up winning by 39 as Memphis literally puts in the uh, the ball boy, um, the, stat guy, the, the stat guy. Yeah. Uh, Buddy Bayheim, I think, went in. Um, what happened, bud? Pat Knight. So what happened was that Memphis was scoring roughly 55 more points than Golden State, and Golden State could not come back in enough time. So They don't call him the best color man in the business for nothing, everybody. At at the end of the day, it seemed like a spot where Golden State stole one at home. I think we can say that. They got outplayed in game four, and they still found a way to win. So they were up 3-1, and Curry made the comments in the pregame, basically saying we're going to try to, you know, kick their asses, basically. Uh, with a rap lyric thrown in there. But the point is that it seemed like Golden State took the game for granted, and they just thought that Memphis would roll over after losing game four. And Memphis came back home, said, you didn't hear we're better without John Morant, and they ended up killing them. But I just think it seemed like Golden State was disinterested. We know Golden State's been an awful first-quarter team for a while now, and Memphis has been very good in the first quarter. It seemed like Golden State went down early and they really just rolled over. And Memphis said, we're taking this game. We're going back to Golden State. Yep, absolutely true. Um, Dano Sears, or Dano Sears, apologies for whichever way I fucked that up, got killed yesterday, fellas. Had the Diamondbacks on the money line. That was me. Had the Mets. That was us. Had the Dodgers run line. Um, I live bet the money line, but I lost on that too. He did. And had the Celtics under. Ugh. That's that's not that's not a good day. Uh, Michael Doe says the Pirates season was made this week, uh, winning two or three against the Dodgers at home. Uh, Dodgers looking for offense at the trade deadline. They're going to trade for everything at the deadline. Then. So the it, Dodgers. Is there anybody they don't have on that squad already? Uh, Ninja had a Memphis on the money line. There's a nice easy rocking chair for you, buddy. Renzo Brothers, what up, Renzo? Uh, o is winning three series in a row. Well. I know one of them came against the Royals, so. That doesn't even count, you know. I guess next game we say Golden State wins by 80. (laughs) So let me ask you this, because I know this will be kind of a a popular talking point uh, before this game starts. Does it make a difference if you lose by five or if you lose by 40? I think it matters. Mentally, where would you rather be? Yeah, I think that it matters in very, very specific circumstances. Namely, if your team's basically dead and you even you need a little bit of a pulse because you can make an argument if Memphis barely squeaked it out and they won by two 
they're going back to Golden State, but I'm sure back of their mind they might be thinking, all right, we got lucky to get out of it at home. We're probably going to get buried. I'm assuming that's where the logic would be if they barely pulled out a win there. If you're up by 55 and you win by 39 and you're missing your best player in Ja and people thought they were going to roll over, I do think that the, that the margin matters because for a confidence boost, Memphis might now have an actual belief they can pull this off. Do I think they're going to pull it off? I'm assuming Golden State will win game six. There's no chance in hell I'm laying eight and a half with Golden State. That is an offensive line, and Memphis plus eight and a half, or even the money line at plus 320, is the only way I can look at that game. But I've we said it on yesterday's show when somebody asked, I don't think Golden State is very good. I think they are a good basketball team with several good individual players. But you look at the overall team, and when Curry is not really making many shots, I know Clay was actually good last night, so I can't really criticize him. But when you're relying so much on three-point shooting, and you're getting killed on the glass like they finally did yesterday, we thought Memphis should dominate the glass the entire series long. They turned the ball over a ton. That's been Golden State's issue for years. And I feel like unless one of their main guys shoots the lights out, they're in danger of losing to anybody because I really don't think that team is as dominant as the odds makers suggest. Because you can look at the current odds right now. Golden State is basically tied for the title favorites with Phoenix. And I don't think they sh- their odds should be higher than Milwaukee. No. I think if Milwaukee played Golden State with Middleton, Milwaukee would win in six. I don't think Golden State would win that series. I don't think they would even beat Miami. But I think Golden State's a good team, not a great team, but they've benefited from the West being relatively weak this year. Yeah, and you and you touched on it briefly. I'm just going to expand on that. They turned the ball over 22 times. Scott, yeah. an NBA team can't turn the ball over 22 times and expect to win. Not going to What happen. do you think's considered acceptable? 14? Even that's pushing it. I would say 12? low double digits. Yeah, yeah. 10, okay. to, 10 to 12. Memphis had Memphis had nine turnovers, and they out rebounded them fifty five thirty seven. No, I'm not going to immediately overreact to the margin and say Golden State's screwed. It's over. Like no, they're still at home. As long as Golden State defends home court, they'll win the series. But I am saying that Memphis, I don't think is going to be scared of the opportunity, and I think you can make a case that if Memphis was barely going to squeak by, you know they're playing with house money, but maybe they would have realized, all right, maybe it's not meant to be. But they win by 39, suddenly they might have a little bit of belief. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think that's a very I, – I agree with you in both respects. I think that's very disrespectful to the Grizzlies, the fact that they're eight-and-a-half-point underdogs. I think they got a good shot to win the game. I, I don't think they're going to. I think they'll fall a little bit short just because I assume Golden State will – I can't say be extra motivated, but you know, after that ass kicking, they're definitely going to be focused for the entire 48 minutes. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be any lapse in focus over that time period after they got embarrassed on national TV. You think, you think we had a bad day. You think Dano had a bad day yesterday. The, you see the headline on the NBA, uh, on, on the ESPN, on the website. I don't even know if I want to know the headline. No, it, I didn't. It, see it was how the warriors are recreating one of the best lineups of all time. And it went through and compared the, you know, the the Warriors of the, uh, of the to what the pool party lineup <laughs> to the one, yeah, the to, to today's. I thought that lineup died. The Warriors... They're still using that. 
I mean, I haven't really noticed them using it that much in closing. I, I see Otto Porter on the court, like in some of the fourth quarter minutes and everything like that. They did have Gary Payton the second in that closing lineup for the first couple games of the series. Right. I think the pool party lineup might be the most overrated lineup in recent memory because it was great for about three games against Denver. And then it's been mediocre ever since. Um, by the way, Dano said it's like Dano from Hawaii Five-0. So very good. James James MacArthur, fine actor, underrated. And Michael's actually mentioning the Kings, and I feel like that's an appropriate segue. I know that he was talking to Steen, but still, I thought that the Kings were moronic for signing, or for hiring, I should say, Mike Brown to be their next head coach. Now, shockingly, Sacramento had a questionable coaching hire because they're a terribly run organization. They have the longest playoff, uh, playoff drought in the entire league. I'm assuming based on the two games without Steve Kerr and how Golden State has struggled, I know they won one of the games, but they were awful in it. He's going to be a disaster in Sacramento, right? Because I'm not sure he can coach. Well, in fairness, everybody is. No, I agree with that. But I hated the hire. I thought there was no creativity to it. You hire another old reject coach to try to revive Sacramento, kind of like what they did with George Carl. You might have forgotten he was the coach for a cup of coffee. Was Cotton, and that didn't, what's wrong with Cotton Fitzsimmons? They didn't bring Cotton Fitzsimmons back? Didn't work out. <laughs> But all I know is that Mike Brown, I don't think, can coach, and I think his whole legacy is based on winning 60 games because he had LeBron on his team. Okay. But he's not a good coach, and the Warriors better pray that Steve Kerr is back on the sideline for Friday's game. How do you really feel? Well, what do you think Steve Kerr would be worth? Because I know we don't really talk that much about coaches and how much they're worth to a point spread, especially in basketball. Kerr's got to be worth like two points, right? Because Mike Brown has shown nothing in these two games. Yes, I would think I would think he would be worth two to three points over Mike Brown. I agree with that. Uh, this is Michael Michael Dose says Sacramento is a disaster. Move them to Seattle or back to Kansas City. I'm all about it. You know, they uh, AEG long about 15 years ago said if you build it, they will come, and we built a beautiful downtown arena. And you know who comes? The Ice Capades. That's who comes. We get. Yeah. We get one NBA uh, exhibition game a year, and we get one NHL exhibition game a year. And we have we were we were promised. To t- I was t- I was told there'd be another sport, and it did not work out. So yes, I would love to see the Kings back. Uh, I'd love to see the Arizona Coyotes. That's that's a team that gets rumored to come to Kansas City about every other year. So yes, I would I would be all about it, Michael. I will. Uh, I, I used to have a great time at the Kings game. saw saw a lot of great players. Got to, got to see. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic, Bird, Jordan, you know, all the all the great teams there in the in the 80s before the Kings uh, hiked it off to Sacramento. All I know is I don't want the Kings in Seattle because Seattle deserves better. Can you bet on the ice capades? Over, under, number of falls, it's usually somewhere around three and a half. I always play the over. Kansas City does You'd not be seem... You'd be a sucker to play the under. Kansas City does not seem to be a possible... Uh, a very popular destination. I think they work out a lot of new moves. I always play the over three and a half falls at the ice capades. Nice. Okay. Um, so let's, let's move on to tonight's action and take a, and take a look real quick here, bud. We'll start off. Um, I'll start off in the NHL. Uh, Islanders play tonight. Is that tomorrow night? The Islanders? Sorry, too soon. Uh, too soon. Maybe, in, maybe in Cancun, if they can find a nice <laughs> rink. Hey, uh, talk about a home series, Carolina and Boston. Home team has won uh, every game here. 
And it hasn't been close. And it hasn't been close. There hasn't been any games that have been less than two goals. And uh, Carolina gives up uh, nine goals in two games on the road. They give up four games in the three, uh, four goals in three games at home. Uh, Chris and I talked a little bit about this. Scott, do you have a theory for the disparity in goals given up between home and away? For me, it just seems like Boston's more confident at home with regard to the power play. I know you mentioned the point of home teams tend to get more calls, which definitely is true as well. But I think special teams is a big piece of this because Boston, the issue they've had for several, several years, even when they made the Stanley Cup and lost to the Blues, they've been top heavy for years. And you look at their main line and you have a little bit of Taylor Hall sprinkled in on one of the secondary lines. That's it. So unless Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak are producing either at even strength or the power play, offensively they're screwed. And the main story in Carolina is that Carolina has done a very good job of keeping those three in check at home. On the road, not so much. So I do believe that Carolina's game plan, or really just the secret to stopping Boston, just stop the first line and try not to take penalties, and they should be pretty fine. Now, I know you listened to part of the show. Do you agree with the fact that the people that say, well, they they, they, they can afford to punt game six because they're going back to game seven, that narrative is bullshit when it comes down to the players and the coaches? It's the dumbest narrative when it comes to hockey. Okay, It doesn't make any sense in hockey, and the second dumbest would be baseball because it all would come down to starting pitching anyway. So I, those two sports I don't believe with regard to home court, home ice, home field, whatever you want to call it, but hockey especially. You have to try to win every single game that you have because home ice means absolutely nothing. I can tell you that much in my experience for game sevens. It doesn't really matter. But what I will tell you is a bit of a hot take here. I'm actually taking Carolina. I think they end it. I just think they're the much better team. And I'm aware of the home road splits. I know Boston looks like a different team at home. I get it. But I really don't like what I've seen from the Bruins and their lack of depth. And I just mentioned that at nauseum. I'll do it again. Carolina has several lines that can contribute. Boston has one and a half. And if Carolina can do enough on the penalty kill to either limit the amount of penalties that they get in general at even strength or at least limit the number of opportunities, I believe Boston just has, I'd say, a certain cap to their actual ceiling. And Carolina does not. So for me, I'm actually going to go against the current trend of the series. I'm going to take the Hurricanes. I think they end it. But my favorite play in this game would once again be the over five and a half, which you can find. I know currently it's at six, but you can find alternative numbers. If you can get five and a half at anything less than 135, you just take it. It's at 126 right now on FanDuel. I don't know how you avoid taking that because every game's had at least six. It's an elimination game, too. So if Boston goes down even four goals, they might pull the goalie. Pull the goalie, yeah. And we've seen them pull the goalie down three. We've seen both coaches pull the goalie down three. But five and a half is my favorite play. Give me the over. But I actually do think Carolina bucks the trend wins tonight. So Dano brought up a point, and Chris brought it up in, in his show. And I want you to expand on a little bit since you're the, since you're the hockey guy. The home team gets the uh, the last line change. Can you explain how that works, Scott? So so the way that it works is that the way that I'll explain it is anytime you have a stoppage in action, so you have a face-off, you know, a goal, whatever, puck out of play, the road team chooses which line they want to use, whether they want to use the first line, second line, whatever. 
and the defense can respond accordingly. So in other words, if there's a faceoff in your offensive zone, then you can wait to see if the opposing team is going to use the first line, the second line, or the third line, and then match it accordingly. So you can't have your like fourth line against the number one line on the other team. So it's a huge advantage for line changes in stopped action for the home team. Okay. Very good. And Ninja says after five to seven minutes, there's no scoring. You know, we, we'll be able to get a regular price on it at five and a half. That's not a bad bet because we've seen these games in particular be high scoring, but it's a lot of light action. There's mm-hmm. been a couple of low scoring early couple minutes. So I don't hate that either. Ninja. You can do the same thing with soccer, soccer especially. Yep, yep. Uh, MZ said the total six. Yes, yeah, I was talking about taking alternative line. At currently, it's at minus one twenty-seven, where you can we can get five and a half. So you pay a little, uh, play a little, pay a little extra juice there, but it should be well worth the squeeze. Is what's. I don't mind say. six, but when you're looking at situations where you're going to get most likely a couple of goalie pulls in a situation like this, I would rather get the half because I do believe that there's a decent chance this game will land six. And if it's if it's three to two, obviously, I would say even four to one, they're pulling the goalie with seven, oh, they will. seven yeah. minutes left. So it happened last time we did the farm with that series. We took the five and a half instead of six, and what do you know? It landed six. Yep, yep. That's a uh, – some half points, you know, I don't think either one of us are big proponents of quote-unquote buying points, but there's some situations where you have – uh, lower scoring affairs where you like yeah. your soccer or soccer or hockey, where that half point becomes a lot more valuable than what you're actually being charged for it. So, yeah. Um, Tampa Bay and Toronto, Scott, we have talked a little bit about how good, uh, Vasilevsky is. Well, it's the entire team. They're well, what? Well, 18 and up. they're 18 and up. Yeah. He's 15 and oh with five, with five shutouts and like a 0.9 goals against, um, but the team is 18 and 0, I believe. Yeah. So this is both both a good goalie and a good team after suffering a playoff loss, like they did against Toronto. You want to get in the middle? You want to get in the front of that streak, Scott? Hell no. Okay. The only thing that stopped me from taking it as a play today was that it was like minus 140, basically minus 135. Yeah. So I decided it. not to. I don't mind regulation. I think if they're going to win, they're going to take it to them. But the way that I see it. I know that Chris did not want to talk about it because he is a Maple Leafs fan, unfortunately for him. But you're looking at the fact that Toronto has a pretty long history of choking, especially in the playoffs. (laughs) And they've blown several 3-1 leads. They've blown several 3-2 leads in series. It's ugly. And we saw it last year when they blew the series to Montreal. We, We know what happened. So I'm telling you right now, if this gets to seven, I think Tampa's going to win game seven. I would not mind taking a series price on Tampa because I do think they are incredibly live to win the series. Okay, very good. Uh, Ninja says, what do you think about third period overs on all hockey games? Is it usually two and a half? Uh, it's usually either heavily juiced one and a half or some books will give you two and a half. Okay. Um, I see no reason not to take a play on that. It's an elimination game for every game involved because, as you can tell, it's 3-2 one way or another. So you should end up seeing a lot of goalies being pulled late from either side. Yep. I'd prefer one and a half. Like I, I think in these spots, which might be a hot take, but once again, it goes back to the laying juice for totals. 
I would rather lay 200 on an over one and a half than get a two and a half at like minus 120. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you're looking at 40% increase in value. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's how I'm looking at it. Now, I, some of you could disagree and say I would never lay 200 on that, but with the goal pulling alone, one and a half definitely should cash at probably closer to a minus 300 clip, wouldn't you think so? Yeah, I would. You know, and I'm going to say this. I know there's a lot of people out there that will preach, I don't pay over this amount of juice. I don't play, you know, I will tell you, we have given you guys some high juice plays. We've given usually on awards, and it's been uh, minus 400, minus 350. And the one we thing Shibu- we had Shibuya at minus 400, 80 or 400 or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. And Allie made incredible fun of us. And you know what? Every one of those bets, what do they have in common, Scott? They won. They've all cashed. That's right. That's right. Um, so we give you, we will give you heavily juiced plays that still are plus EV. And I know that's hard to believe, but if, uh, if you're four, if you're getting, if you're uh, minus 400, and the true odds are minus 800 or minus 1,000, then you're still getting over 100% EV to the positive side. It just doesn't doesn't seem that way. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. I mostly, keyword mostly, do that with awards. Awards are the ultimate way of laying juice for me. Yes. Or even the draft, if you have trusted sources that tell you which direction the team's going in. But for awards, the sample size and the awards already decided. They just have to vote. You know, going in, for example, halfway through the year, Tyler Heroes minus 800 to win sixth man of the year. Well, he should be minus 50,000 because he's going to win the award. And Monty Williams, midway through the year, was minus 150 to win coach of the year. He should have been minus 700. Like, he was going to win the award. Phoenix was going to win 65 games, and he was going to coast to it. And you can make an argument that for any of these awards, the outcome is pretty much determined like did you really need someone to tell you last year that minus a thousand was an awful price going into week 18 on tj watt to win defensive player of the year right it should have been minus fifty thousand. He now, was going to win the award i would over. i would say with this caveat i'm not sure i'd do anything halfway through the season and lay that kind of juice because you you have injuries come in i'm just mentioning examples yeah i get it i i get it but yeah usually we're going to strike with about one to two months left, four to eight weeks. Yeah, and that's for awards. You even mentioned for draft stuff. Right. Walker, first pick in the draft. He went from around plus 105 to minus 500 in the span of a day. Do you think that all that money's a Fugazi, or do you think that they're, no. that's coming from something? Somebody, I'm assuming that Sharp slammed Walker because they know who they're taking. Somebody knew it. Yep, absolutely, so absolutely correct. you can argue 500. You don't know. But based on the line movement, you know, it, it, it was a no-brainer. Just an example. Any uh, Cody wants to know if there's any hockey overs. By the way, Rick Seff says he just got back from the window. Excellent. Excellent nice. news. Um, I would put it another way, Scott. Is there any game you'd play an under with tonight between That's a better question. Carolina, Boston, Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Minnesota, St. Louis? Do any of those games go under? If I was going to play an under, it would be the Tampa game. But I do like the over. Uh, the Blues game's tricky, too, because that was my play today. I took St. Louis. And there has been a recent goalie announcement regarding Minnesota. It does appear that Marc-Andre Fleury has been benched. And they are going to be using Cam Talbot. Now, I'm okay with that decision for Minnesota because Fleury has given up four goals in each of the last two games. Is Talbot a really good goalie? 
No, but he does have playoff experience. He's not awful, but I'm also not sure how good or how well he's going to play because since Flurry has been starting all of these playoff games, it means Cam Talbot might be a little bit cold because he has not played since April 28th. Do you think the long layoff hurts? Because I get that you want to make a move and I understand it, but I'm not penciling Talbot to look sharp after about two weeks off. No, in the uh, you know the only thing I will say is the fact that Minnesota was thirty-two and sixteen in Talbot's games and thirty and thirty-one in Flurry. Now I know that uh, uh, that was a uh, sorry. That's then that's uh, of course against the spread. So uh, straight up thirty thirty-one. Yeah, thirty-two sixteen is the same. So I thought that might. Be I can't believe right. Flurry played this many games. Well, but... my guess would be he played mop-up duty for for some of Talbot, right? Because you've got too many games there. You've got 61 for Flurry. you got 48 for Talbot. That's 100. No, it's because he got traded midseason. Well, he's still got 109 games. Oh, he's so going to been playing. He's on Chicago. He's I on got Chicago you. Then, all right. All right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, I forgot. But about I don't think Flurry's very good anymore. No. no offense. I know that he won the Vezina with Vegas, but I don't think he's the same guy. I think that's going to help Minnesota. We saw what a goalie change did for St. Louis because Bennington came in and they haven't lost since. But I cannot get over how awful the penalty kill is for Minnesota. And I mentioned it going into the series. But St. Louis has won six of the eight meetings this season. And they're around minus 105 or minus 110. I took it solely for value as my play of the day. But St. Louis at home has been really good. They've been really good against Minnesota. And Talbot might help. He might not. But when you don't play for two weeks, I'm assuming you're going to struggle. Well, here's what I wondered about. Because I talked with, you know, Chris had this game. He's got Minnesota. He's he's on the Bennington train with me, and wait. So he's got St. Louis then. I mean, he's got St. Louis rather, okay. and and then he also had the over. I'm like, how do you justify those two things with 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 Bennington playing well, hasn't given up more than two goals in either one of his St. Louis starts, is just walking into five goals again. Or you know, and and he talked about you know empty netters at the end. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean Talbot, by all accounts, has been better this season than Flurry. Yeah, it's really not close, which is why I understand Minnesota wanting the experienced goalie for the playoffs. Yep. But you got to trust your guys. Uh, I would have trusted Talbot, and now I'm afraid they might have gone to him too late. I don't think it's going to be easy. I know every game in the series has been easy, kind of like the Carolina series. Yep. This game will be close with Talbot in, but I do think the Blues do enough either on the power play or just Riley, O'Reilly and Tarasenko and everyone. I just think they're a little bit too good overall compared to Minnesota. Minnesota's had Kaprizov do basically everything for this team, and not many people have stepped up since game three. I think the Blues finish it off tonight. Okay. All right, very good. I have I have more I have more confidence in the Blues than I do the over. I felt a lot better about it when Flory was in net as opposed to Talbot. Yep. But the long layoff suggests that Talbot might play decently well. I highly doubt he'll go for a 32-save, one-goal performance. I think St. Louis should get at least three across. Yep, very good. I uh, thought the Houston versus Twin start was in 20 minutes. They are continuing the game from yesterday. Yep, yep. For the By the way, so totals in that still got voided, right? Yes. That's what I thought. Yep. Okay. Anything, anything that didn't go uh, eight and a half. But I'm saying technically it went eight and a half because they continued, but it's a day after. That goes book, I, that goes book by book. Uh, okay. A lot a lot of books are it has to be complete within 24 hours of the start time. 
Yeah, I was going to so, say, so I think most avoid. If, if you complete it the next day, you're you're probably still good. Okay. Uh, got, Rick's got the under in the Blues game at six and a half. I think if you want to take unders for the sake of the playoffs, you should probably stay with the first period. Just because these goalie pulls at the end are really going to kill you mid uh, at the end. I wouldn't mind maybe expecting a lower scoring start. And then take the under. You can go a ninja's move. You wait a couple minutes, maybe even a period. You can maybe get a middle, get five and a half and six and a half. And suddenly with six, you double your winnings. Right. So that's also an option. Okay. All right. Solid. Uh, moving on to the hardwood. Scott, a couple of basketball games tonight. Nobody's nobody's ended it yet, so we still get we still get two per night. Unlike... By the way, so for hockey, I like one game seven. Okay, what do you like? No, I like the Lightning going to game seven. Okay, all right. You 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 have Boston winning, or you have no, no. I've got I, I think <sighs> I just think Carolina is better. It's hard to get in front of that home and home thing, but I, I think Carolina is a better player, a, be, a better team. I like this Carolina team. Um. But they are good. I can't. I, I can't get over the fact how poorly they played on the road. So yeah. I'll, eh, I'll take a small lean with Boston. So you have two game sevens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, Philadelphia favorite at home with Miami. Is this the classic wrong team favorite, or is Philadelphia going to have a little something for them? You mean Philly's favorite in Philly? I, I said against my. I said against Miami. Against you said Miami. in Miami. Oh, okay. sorry, against Miami. Yeah. Phil- yeah, Philly is at home. They're, of course, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Otherwise, they wouldn't be, but should they be anyway? Miami should be favored. I, I, I understand that Philly's dominated at home. I get it. And we just had this conversation with hockey. But the way that I see it with the injuries with Embiid and the fact that he's been commenting about it, did you read any of those comments no. that he made during the course of the week? No. So, of course, he had a couple of comments early on about the MVP stuff. Because right. he thinks he should have won. Jokic clearly should have won, and Jokic won the award, so good for him. But he made some comments after the blowout loss in Game 5, where he said it's a lose-lose situation. Either I don't play because of the injuries, and I get called soft, or I play, and if I play badly, then I suck. And he's not wrong. Don't no. get me wrong. No. Like he He's 100% right, and the media is very, very, I'd say, harsh for players unjustly. You can't say that right before your team's facing elimination, can you? As the leader of the team, that's something you say during the off season. I don't know. I don't know what the upside is there. A lot of times, that I sounds say, like an excuse that he's built, yeah. he's he's building in. Yeah, it does. It, it sounds like it sounds like somebody who's probably not physically ready to play. And of course, Embiid is not physically ready to play. Most players, if it was a regular season, he'd be, he'd be out for a month and a half getting surgery on his ligament, not to mention the actual face damage. But I think it's a very bad look when your best player, the face of your team and the leader of your team is talking about why it's not fair to criticize him for playing poorly through injury right before his team is going through an elimination game. It seems like it's a really poorly timed quote. And Miami, of course, is missing Lowry which I think is actually a boost. I think they're better without Lowry. It's not even thinking. It's just a fact. They are better without Lowry right now because Lowry was playing at 40%. He couldn't shoot. He couldn't defend. He couldn't move. And Miami's undefeated without him in the playoffs. I believe they're 3-0 now without Lowry, 2-0 against Atlanta, and 1-0 against Philly. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think you would agree with me. Miami's probably better off without a damaged Kyle Lowry playing 30 minutes a game. Certainly what the numbers say. So I'm going with Miami. And I think that even though there's a chance Embiid can go for a big game, Harden historically in elimination games has been awful. We'll see what Harden we get. Max, he's been a bit of a non-factor recently. But I still cannot get the image out of my head of Philly choking, or not even choking, but just not even showing up for some of these must-win games, whether it involves Game 5 against Toronto, where they no-showed for no reason. They won Game 6, so props to them, but they still no-showed on their home floor. You had last year against Atlanta, where they no-showed Game 7. It was close, but they really just fell short. I don't trust this team effort-wise, and I know whether they win, whether they lose, whether they're up 20 or down 20, Miami's going to make it a pain in the ass to play against them for 48 minutes, and I think that Philly's going to fold. So would it shock me if Miami not only wins, but wins by double digits tonight? It would not surprise me, because if Philly goes down 10 early, they will probably roll over. Okay. What do you think? Well, I might be, you, I'm probably harsher on Philly than you are, but I've seen it. This team is not afraid of rolling over when things get difficult. I get that. However, uh, even though I still think Miami, I thought at the beginning of the playoffs, I still think it now. I think Miami is the best team in the East. I I like them tonight. However, I, I'm gonna I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pass up taking two and a half points with what I think is the best team in the, in, the, in the conference. However, Philadelphia has played very well at home, mm-hmm. and just about the time you write them off, where you're like, well, this team is done. Uh, Maxi gets hot. Embiid does Embiid things, and they end up with a 10-point win. I'm not predicting it tonight, but it would not shock me if this Philly team showed up and somebody picked up the slack. I, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's going to be Harden. I think it's probably going to be Maxi if, if somebody's going to put up 30. But Tobias uh, maybe with 22. Possibly, like yep, yep. And you may have to have both of those things if Embiid's going to be around 20. Unless he yeah. goes, I think I think Embiid's going for like twenty four and fourteen. That's I guess. yeah, and that might even be high on the rebounds. But I don't think yeah. if you're seeing his, I know his number the other night was twenty five and a half. I I didn't like mm-hmm. that. I, if it's still around there, I'm I'm pounding the under with Embiid. Yeah, the way that I see it, once again, I'm being harsh on Philly, but I do personally think that Miami is just the much better team. And the bench disparity is so huge between these teams. Miami's bench, especially with Oladipo, right. who's actually given them some really good minutes in this series. Philly's best bench player is arguably Gordon e. Zhang, and he's probably been the worst player on the floor for both teams for the entire series. All right. Yang's so, been awful. So that one doesn't go to seven. At least I don't think it's going to. Does I think the, Miami wins. Does the other one? I have a much harder time predicting the Suns-Mavericks game than I do with the Heat game because I think the Heat are just going to win. Like, Good for Philly for winning too, but it's such a red flag, the quotes from Embiid and the fact that they punted away, in my opinion, a must-win game five on the road. Right. You can't voluntarily set yourself up for a best-case scenario game seven in Miami. That's really, really concerning for Philly, in my opinion. If you lose game five, it's fine. But you can't no-show the game and lose by 35. That's a serious red flag. As for the Phoenix-Dallas game, the home team once again has dominated every game in the series. Now, Phoenix had some 
unfortunate referee situations the last time they were in Dallas, mostly Chris Paul fouling out with about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter, which was just crazy. But props to Dallas. They've played well. It's been a series of adjustments. Oh, boy. A part of me really wants to take Phoenix just because I think the blueprint, which I expected Phoenix to to actually deploy, they used last game, limit the number of assists for, for Doncic, let him go for 35. Guard Finney Smith, guard Brunson, guard Dimwitty, even Bertans, and just force, Dim, force Doncic to take 45 fadeaway step-back jumpers, and you'll win the game. Do I think they'll be able to deploy that? I don't know. For me, I'm leaning Phoenix, but there's no chance I'm betting it. I already have a Suns minus one and a half games play that I gave out about a week and a half ago. If you want to eject Dallas money lines plus 110, so you basically break even. But I'll lean Phoenix. I'm hoping Chris Paul has the ultimate revenge game against Dallas fans in the first game since the Mother's Day fiasco. Well, and it looks like the Dallas made a conscious decision on their side to not let Chris Paul beat them because yeah. they've, they've shut him down. He's gone for 12, five and seven, the last three games. And I think that's good for Phoenix because Booker's the one you got to worry about with the, the ball in his hands. Well, and Aiton, they, they have, yeah. n- they have nobody inside against, against Aitman. I mean, Dwight Powell's a joke. They put him in there. I said in the last they show, played they, eight minutes. They put, they put him in there basically to jump center at the start of the game is the yeah, only purpose I can see that he's in the game. Uh, this is a Dallas team. Once they traded Porzingis, we talked about how they were going to be weak in the middle, and they have been. Doncic leads the team in rebounds, and it's not even particularly close. And yeah. that's just scandalous at the NBA level that you're six seven uh, stretch point guard, especially in the conference semis. Yeah, well, that's right. He's had ten and a half. He's had ten and a half in the playoffs. He's had he had eleven during the regular season, and that was mm-hmm. the, he put up. He had he had eleven rebounds last time. The other problem the problem with that is. Uh, nobody else had more than six. I uh, still want more from Aiton, though. I get that Aiton's a finesse big man who takes a lot of Carl Malone mid-range jumpers, and he's a very, I can't say floater, but kind of like a a turning, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like a turning post shot. He's not He's not, not, he's not just a back-to-the-basket kind of guy. Yeah, I kind of wish he was. Like, if Embiid was playing against Dallas, for example, he'd average 45 per game. Right. Like, I want more from Aiton, but he's still been efficient. I just think that Dallas got really hot from three in the two home games, and maybe that happens again. But Phoenix can win in a variety of ways, and I think Dallas can only win in one way, and that's a bunch of really good three-point shooting performances. Yeah, yeah I'm So with- I'm going to lean Phoenix. Yep. I'm not happy about it. I'm not going to play it. I will play Miami. I'm not playing Phoenix. I think I think Phoenix has made the adjustments. That's, that's the best team in the league, and I think they show it here. I've, I've got Phoenix. That's I my, don't that's know if they're the best the team in the league, but they're the best team in the West. Oh, they were the be- they are the team with the best record in the league, and I've not seen yeah. once um, uh, once they got healthy, once they got Booker back. I've seen nothing in the playoffs to dissuade me of that notion, even even though they've lost a couple against Dallas. In, in my bracket, I have Phoenix beating Milwaukee in the NBA Finals. If okay. they would end up meeting up, which I think is a fair possibility, sure. I think my I think that Milwaukee would win the series. Well, we'll see. But I still think Phoenix is the best team in the West, and I don't think it's very close. Yep, agreed. All right. Um, well, it's about time to do it, buddy. You ready? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, we talked about it yesterday. It was not uh, 
it was not ideal as uh, Tyler McGill came out and uh, absolutely shit the bed, gave up eight runs in the first two innings. Look, man, if we're going to give you a minus one and a half and they're up three nothing in the first ten minutes of the game, yep. we're, we're not really going to apologize for it when the guy who was undefeated against Aaron Sanchez decides to give up five runs in the first. That's just unfortunate. Yep, it is. You know? Shit happens, and that is exactly what happened yesterday. So we're getting ready to uh, to start a new – to start a streak here. We, you know, we, we were really hot about a month ago, and now we've kind of been choppy since then. Time to get warm again, Scott. I am uh, absolutely ready, and let's do it. It is time once again. Put on your overalls, climb aboard your John Deere, get your keychain out, put them in the ignition, and fire that bad boy up because, kids, you know it, you love it. It is time once again to bet the farm. All right, there they are. There they are. I love your I love the hat on top of the headphones. It's one of my favorite one of my favorite looks. I'm doing the best I can. I know you are, brother. You're you're I'm uh, just you're, here so I don't get fun. You're you're peddling you're peddling hard. Mm-hmm. All right, Skeeter. What do we got fired up for the farm today? I thought it's your day. Oh, it is my day. You're absolutely right. Um well that requires a quick adjustment. Yes. All right. We're gonna play the team that I know and love the best. This is the Kansas City Royals. And the Texas Rangers, we're going to take the over eight and a half. That's available at minus one twenty. At it's Caesar's it's eight and a half. It says eight on the sheet, but it's eight and a half. What's that? You have eight on the bet the farm banner. Oh, you're right. You're right. I have I have eight and a half written down. It, that is that has been changed. Yeah. So just just take the banner down. It's eight and a half. Well, yeah, there you I, go. I can also do something else here, bud. We're not we're not Neanderthals. We're, here. we're not cavemen. We're not uh, we're not unfrozen cavemen lawyer. We can. Uh, we can make the adjustments there, my friend. All right, so there it is. Yeah, when we wrote this up, it was eight, but it it has gone to eight and a half. So we always like to uh, we always like to be current and fair. We don't we're not put, trying to put up bullshit lines. So anyway, Royals Rangers over eight and a half. That's the play. Each of the first two games of this series have had exactly ten runs. There's a couple of future All Stars uh, getting the ball for these teams. I'm just kidding. They're probably not going to be uh, Taylor Hearn is pitching for Texas. He does have some experience. He's got some experience at being shitty. Uh, at night, especially, 11 and two-thirds innings. A 9-9-26 ERA. Not good. However, he's going to be squaring off against Jonathan Heasley. Even if you're a Royals fan like I am, you kind of had to make sure that you knew exactly who Jonathan Heasley was because... Never pitched in the major leagues before today. Minor league stats this season. Not exactly setting the world on fire up there at Omaha as he has pitched, pitched 26 in the third innings with an ERA of 4.44. And the Texas over, we talked about this in our previews. If you watched any of those before the season started, we said Texas was going to be an over team, especially at home. Bad pitching, decent hitting and a, uh, a field that tends to get hot pretty early in the season where the ball will fly. And it is 4-1 and one in Texas's last five home games. We're going to see some runs. We're going to see them early, and we're going to see them often. Take the Kansas City Royals. Texas Rangers over 8.5. By the way, either one of those teams could get there by themselves. Yeah, the way that I see it is it's one thing if you want to call somebody up who's been lighting it up. In AAA, you call him the guy who has a 1.5 ERA, something like he's too good for AAA, so you got to do something. It seems like they really just needed any arm of any kind 
and they found the guy with the 4.44 ERA in AAA who just so happened to be on his fifth day of rest and said, hey, how about you throw about a couple innings? But if you've been struggling in Omaha and now you're facing off against the Rangers offense in Texas, I'm assuming he'll get shelled. This is the he's not boobage guy. Yeah. They uh, they called up to Omaha and they said, uh, I need a pitcher. And we said, well, we got this kid. He's not that good. And they go, is he boobage? Well, no, he's not. Okay, let's have him. That's, uh, this that's... is clearly a, a spot where Kansas City just did not want to burn the entire bullpen. Yes. So they called up a, a spot starter to give them five innings. And whether he's good or not, his sole purpose is to eat up innings. Yep, it's just to, to burn this spot because they don't have an off day on Thursday. Exactly correct. If this was an off day, if the Thursday was a regular off day like they normally have on Thursdays, He'd still be in Omaha. Still be in Omaha. Exactly correct. Yeah. So, bet the farm, Royals, Rangers, over eight and a half. Know it, live it, love it, learn it, and cash that ticket. And that is going to do it for the farm. That's going to do it for the show, everybody. We do thank you for stopping by. Check out all the great offerings at Max Wagers Network, of course, and uh, with a special emphasis on Chris and I at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, and then Scott and I do it every day, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, doing our very best to help you guys in that journey to head back to the window. You guys have a great day. Um, we'll see you tomorrow, and we'll be doing our NASCAR show tomorrow as well with Rye Cape. Great NASCAR guy, a lot of fun. We're going to have a blast, so make sure you tune in for that. All right, you guys take care. We'll see you next time. Whatever you choose to, uh, wherever you choose to join us, we'll be here looking for you. You guys have a great day. We'll see you then.